Hey everyone, this is James White here at the Everyday Ministry Podcast. We know that it's been several months since we've released a new episode, but we are hoping to start back releasing new episodes and fresh content at the start of next year. Until then, we are planning on releasing a sermon that I have preached over this last year at my local church, either every other week or every week. We hope that these sermons are beneficial to you. John chapter 9, we're going to be looking at 1 through 12, and uh, it hasn't been that long ago since we've been in John together as a church, so I questioned going back to this uh, scripture, but I think it's been over a year or so since you guys went through it, and um, I just found it quite a fitting um, verse to read this morning and to look at um, in the context of the individual that is healed as well as for us in our current state, um, just as individuals and as a just people, uh, as Spring Hill, as a county, state, nation, all of those things. Um, you know, I, I really didn't have an opening or anything planned, but as I was sitting here reflecting on my week, uh, really thanking God for what He had done this week, I've had the opportunity two times this week, and I said this on Thursday nights to our college students, um, but two times on a personal moment, I've had the opportunity to explain that theology, which is the study of God, is just what we know about who God is. Um, that begins here, but it really doesn't begin to work in our hearts and in our lives until it's a here. Meaning that we can understand things about God before we really feel and truly apply that to our lives. And this morning's topic is one of those things that it's easy to know it here, but it takes time to know it here because what we're going to be looking at is that Jesus heals this man and I'm going to unfold it in just a moment. He heals this man that is born blind. We don't know how old he is or anything of that nature, but he's an adult and he was born blind. We see that Jesus heals this individual and he makes this statement of why he does so. And essentially, as we're going to look in my kind of my outline of the sermon itself is good and bad and good and the bad. That God, and in this moment Jesus, specifically takes a very bad thing and turns it into a very good thing for the purpose of making His name be known. The reality is no different in our lives. is that you will face difficult and hard times. We've lived in those for the last nine months, eight months, right? Difficult and hard times. But the reality is, is that we have a good and great God that is doing something in, in midst of all of the bad that we see around us. See, but it's easy to hear that and know that. But you have to live through things and put your faith in Christ to be able to rest in those things. So my prayer this morning is that, that not just to remind you of the goodness of God, but to also make it known 
that and just to help you leave this morning in a way that you could understand and apply greater the goodness of God in your life and trust Him when difficult times occur. So, First John, John chapter, we're going through First John with the students on Wednesdays. So that's why I slipped up there. John chapter 9, uh, as I've already said, that's kind of what we're going to look at. But I want to remind us, uh, it's been a while, but if you remember rightly, when we went through this study, the, the, the kind of theme was so that you may have life. And that comes from John chapter 20, 30 and 31, which says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. See, these 12 verses is a perfect example of the purpose of the entire book of John and really why we are opening it this morning. See, the reality here is that God is using the good and bad things of this world to display His great love for His people, that we are to display the light of Christ in all of our circumstances by trusting in Him no matter what happens. So, let's turn our attention to John chapter 9 this morning. As He passed by, He saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Salam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors of those who had seen him before as a beggar was saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? So some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how will your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Shalom and wash. So I went and I washed, and now I have received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and this specific moment and the life and ministry of our Savior. Though it is just a picture of a physical need he provided for a singular man, God, it is a much greater picture of the blindness that He removed from each and every one of us in here that has placed our trust in Him. God, You have moved us from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight, and we have seen the glory that You have, and we have believed and trusted in Your Son to save and redeem our souls. Thank You 
for any that hasn't, Father, make that clear this morning, their need to see a holy God in rejection of their own sinfulness and trusting in their Savior Jesus to redeem and save them. And Father, let us walk away with a peace in the most difficult times. Let us walk away with a joy in the uncertainties of life. We pray this in your Son's holy name. Amen. This morning, as I've already said, that this is one of the the great signs that we see through John. Uh, This is a very miraculous one. So often we hear of Jesus taking and turning a blind man and making him be able to see. And sometimes we are desensitized to the reality that is at hand in this narrative. The fact that Jesus has the power to do this is amazing. So let's not miss that this morning, but let's begin by looking at verses 1 through 5. And you may not be able to see the words behind me well, um, but it says good and the bad, because that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at we have a God that can do good things and bad things, that He makes bad things good. More specifically, though, in verses 1 through 5, we're going to see the reason why is so that He so that the works of God may be displayed. You probably can't read that. So the works of God may be displayed. Good in the bad. Why? So the works of God may be displayed. Verse 1, the first part of that says, as he passed by. See, this is a very uh, simple and vague statement, but it's very, very informative. Uh, And the reason why it's informative is because it kind of allows us to understand where we're at in timeline. It's not as significant now as it would be as we were walking through John. But what we saw in John chapter 8 is this addressing of the festival of the booths. And then in chapter 10, we see this festival of dedication, which is another festival in the Jewish heritage. And they're about three months apart. So at some point within this three-month period, we see that Jesus encounters this man that is blind. And so in this encounter, we see that a man blind from birth. This isn't just a normal blind man. This is a man that has been born blind. So that's going to make the questions that the disciples ask so important in just a moment. Um, But what we should rightly understand is that this physical condition of this man is on display. He is man born blind, but it explicitly explains that this was his condition from birth, and this is the same issue for us. This physical condition presents the spiritual condition of every individual that we are born blind, that we are born sinful and fallen and rebellious against a holy God. This is an indication of the reality of each and every person that is born into this world. They are born spiritually Blind, spiritually dead, dead in their trespasses. This leads the disciples to ask a question that also declares their ignorance. He says, Rabbi, this is verse 2, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? I want to state, first off, how would it be possible for a man that is not born to sin that causes blindness? The reality, though, is this was a very common view in the Palestinian Jews of their day. 
They thought that sin and suffering were directly, directly connected. That if somebody had sinned, then there would be this direct result of some kind of illness or some kind of error in their life. So obviously when they see this man that had been born blind, it had to have been either his sin or his parents' sin. Meaning that either he sinned somehow or that God knew he would be sinful, so therefore he made him blind at birth or his parents possibly uh, having him outside of wedlock would be another indication here, um, sinned, and therefore he was born blind. Now, you don't have to read on directly to know that this is a misunderstanding of the day and the time. But what we should know in this is just this reality is that that bad things happen because we live in a fallen world, not because of any lack of faith or unwillingness to repent. See, though this is true in a sense, see, the reality is that somebody's effects in bad moments in life is not a direct result of any sin or lack of repentance in their life. But it is a result of sin. Because we live, according to Genesis 3, in a world that has fallen Corrupt and cursed, just like serpent, the serpent and the man and the woman was. See, the reality is we live in a world that is not how God intended it to be. We live in a world full of hard times, full of, obviously, as we see right now, sickness and sorrow and pain. People we know well in hospitals due to a virus. Loved ones dealing with cancer. People we know well dealing with a divorce, financial struggles, or even personally dealing with some of these things. The reality is we know this. We know this to be true. We may not be blind like this guy was, but we can directly relate to the circumstances of his life because we all have bad moments. It's not because of anything that we've done in our life deserving of that. Though God does judge us and we do reap the consequences of our sin, that's not what's going on here. What's going on here was this misunderstanding that if they were sinful, then something bad would happen to them or their family. That's not why we deal with the things we would deal with today, but we deal with them because sin does exist. So we have a hope, as we read this morning in 1 Peter a hope of an eternal salvation that is held by the hands of Christ that is never going to leave nor forsake us, but we will be with our Heavenly Father forever and evermore. See, God will make all things new one day, and it will be a great and glorious moment. But until then, life is full of hard times. This is what makes the prosperity gospel that we hear around us and on television so contrary to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no promise of wealth, health, or prosperity. But there's this promise that life will be hard, but we have a Savior that we can lean into in those hard moments. That's what we're going to see in the life of this blind man. So, we see that Jesus then explains that this is not the case. In first part of chapter verse 3, says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but the works of God may be displayed in him. 
Now, let us be abundantly clear here. According to Isaiah 42, 6 and 8, it says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light of the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from dungeons and from prisons, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory. I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. For whatever reason and purpose, we may not understand this, but we should know and hear at least that this man was born blind for this encounter with Jesus in this area, in this day, in this time. Why? So that the name of Jesus would be lifted high and the works of the Father would be made known to these people. So we don't know what this man had went through for however old he was. We don't know the difficulties. We don't know the hardship. We don't know how painful and sorrowful it was for him. But we know that there was a moment when he opened his eyes and it was because there was a Savior that caused it to be in his life. And in doing so, Christ was made known. This wasn't an incident. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't a happenstance. This was the reality of a sovereign God walking on the earth, redeeming and saving lost souls. Specifically, opening the eyes of one that was born blind. Old Testament prophecy would be that there would be one to come that would heal and cause those born blind to see. This is the first encounter we see of this ever happening in Scripture. There was blind people made to be able to see in the Old Testament, but never one born blind. Because that was a promise of this Messiah that was to come. See, the reality here is no different for our lives. Though it's different circumstances, the reality is still the same. I don't know you all as personally as I know some of you, but I can open and openly say that all of you have hard and difficult lives to extents or another. Many of you are questioning now, do you send your kids to school or do you keep them at home? Many of you are dealing with, should I continue to work where I work or should I not? How do I handle a virus in midst of all of this? Maybe you're having marriage problems because you just didn't spend that much time with your spouse before all of this and you just don't know how. See, the reality is very simple and it's the fact that we all have issues and hard times and difficult times and we're all living in the midst of one right now. 2020 has not been a peachy time to live in, right? Not happy, not go lucky, none of those things. But we have a God that is not surprised by anything that is happening to us or around us. Yes, unprecedented to us, but not unprecedented to a holy and righteous and sovereign and omnipotent God that is in control of all things. Why was this man born blind? As Jesus said, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Why do good, bad things happen to good people? The reality is there's no good people. We're all sinful, fallen, turned away from God. So let's rework the question. Why do bad things happen to God's people? So that the works of God may be displayed in Him. This morning, we can rest in that. But he goes on to say, We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. 
See, John, in his letters, not only this one, but 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he, he uses this analogy of day and night and light and darkness to signify good and evil. This is why we see it in media. This is why we see it in television, all those things. It's just an, an old thing that's reused. And this is the reality that John is using here is that the light and the day is Jesus and his representation on earth. The dark would be when he left the earth. So Jesus is comparing himself to the sun in which provides light during the day. So he's connecting this sign here uh, with what he had previously said in John chapter 8, verse 12, where he says, I am the light of life. So just as the sun shines brighter when it is present, the Son of God shined brightest while He lived out His human life up to the moment of His glorification. See, we know, though, that Jesus still sits upon the throne in the eternal God. So this causes us some small confusion with Jesus' next statement. The night is coming when no one can work. Might be very easy for us to assume what he's talking about here is the inability uh, to do certain things and uh, saving uh, souls and, and really healing people. Um, but what we would rightly know is the disciples and the apostles did very similar things after the, the glorification of Christ. And we know that the Holy Spirit falls. We know all of these things fall onto those believers. And we know that God is still working and saving people. So what does he mean by the night is coming? Most likely what he's talking about is that period between his arrest and resurrection. This very dark moment where it doesn't seem like there's any hope in the world. So in these first five verses though, the primary thing that we see going on here in this narrative of the man's blindness was not due to any sin of his, of his own or his parents' but rather it was for the purpose of fulfilling the work of God. This was used to not only bring glory to God, but to reveal that Jesus is the Messiah. See, this moment was a moment that God was working before Jesus encountered and spoke to him. This was a moment that this man's blindness was a result of Jesus being glorified in the year that he was. So, God takes good Bad, God takes bad moments and turns them into good. Even so, a man born blind and giving them sight. What was the good though? See, the story doesn't stop here. In verse 6, the very first part, it says, having said this. So, in verses 4 and 5, he's saying that he's declaring the light of the world. And after correcting the misunderstanding of the disciples, after all of this had been said, he is standing before this blind man in verses 6 and 7, where it says this, and had said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go and wash in the pool of Shalom, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is a miracle. This was a great sign of the Messiah himself. This was something that only Christ could have done. But let's understand some things about it. He spits on the ground and he makes mud with saliva. There's a ton of opinions 
of why this is significant, why Jesus would spit on the ground and why he would make mud. And there's no clear indication to exactly why Jesus did it this way. We know that in, in Hebrews chapter 1, we know in John 1, we know that Jesus is God Himself in the flesh that has been from the beginning and the way the world was created by the Word of God. So this is the Word of God in flesh. So He could have spoke, He could have thought, He could have done a lot of ways of healing this man. So we tend to spend so much time in trying to understand why He spits on the ground and makes mud. You may hear a lot of reasons why, and the one I'm about to tell you is going to be one of those. We don't know it to be completely true. We do see some correlation, though, with some uh, just consistencies in the life of Jesus as well as the work of God. But to be clear, there's no clear indication. We see that Jesus is taking what is considered unclean and making a man whole. What I mean by that is saliva from another person, much like today, was considered extremely unclean. So much so that the Jews would have to uh, really go outside of the city and kind of uh, quarantine themselves for about a week and they would have to do these things. So it was very unclean. We see a consistency in the life of Jesus that he does a lot of unclean things to make people clean because what he's trying to do is flip the law on top of its head and say, I am the fulfillment of this law and I have control over it. Much like speaking to a woman that was an adulteress and was living with a man after being married multiple times. Very unheard of. He did unclean things culturally to redeem people. But this is the other one. Let's see the corresponding here that Jesus is taking what a man is made of, which is dirt according to Genesis, and mixing it with what is holy. Meaning a saliva, though he's man, from God himself to fix the issue of man. That taking something outside of the man to heal the man. To say it's something holy to heal the man. See, that's a representation of what Christ has done for us. See, when God looks at us on day of judgment, He will not see our sin if you have trusted in Jesus, but rather He will see the righteousness of His Son. So, He has taken something outside of us and redeeming us in it. He has taken something holy and bestowing it upon what is unclean. That's exactly what we see going on in the way in which he heals this blind man and provides sight to him. Verse 6 goes on to say, Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Go and wash in the pool of Shalom, which means scent. I don't know if you remember this pool well, but it was the same area in which Jesus took and healed a blind man that laid outside of the pool hoping for a miracle. See, the reality is there's no magical power in this pool itself, though it was contrary to the belief of the Jews. What actually was the miraculous work was what happened beforehand and what happens in response to what Jesus did. God opening the eyes of the blind man, initiating this saving work of redeeming his eyes so that he could see. And this man has to respond in another way by faith, putting his faith and trust in Jesus by doing what Jesus told him to do. See, it's this work and this picture of the cooperation of God and man and salvation that God, yes, sovereign, man, yes, responsible of their sin. So you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus to be saved, though it is a complete work of God in your lives. That's exactly what happens in this blind man's life. 
God is the one that saved his eyes. Jesus is the one that healed him of blindness. There was no power in himself to save his eyes, to provide sight to himself. If there would have been, he would not be blind at this point. But by faith that he placed in Christ, we see that his blindness is taken away through the power of Christ. Same thing in our life. That our spiritual blindness healed by Jesus and then we respond by faith and trusting and hoping in Him rather than our own ability to save ourselves. Then in verse 7, the latter part of it, so He went and washed and came back seeing. This is an amazing thing. But let's note here that Jesus is not there anymore. He came back seeing Jesus no longer to be found. So what does this mean? And I, I should have told you just a minute, for, a minute ago, this is what causes the blind to see. See, good and bad situations. Why? So that the works of God may be displayed. One of those works is so that the blind can see. And the second one, though, is so that those, so that people would seek after the Lord. See, this is what I want us to understand before I get into this. Is Proverbs is clear. In Psalms is clear, there's no, not one that is good, none that seeks after the Lord. Left to our own sinfulness, we would not seek after God. Because if we wanted to be real or not, you love your sin, you loved your sin before Jesus redeemed and saved you, and you continue to love it to some extent or another. The only reason we war against sin after coming to Jesus and salvation is because we have a new spirit that is within us that is fighting against the flesh. We would not seek God in our own ability, but God loving us makes it so that we can, so that we then, in rightly uh, responding in faith and repentance. But it begins by this initiating of this, this promise of something greater, and that's what we're going to see here in 8 and 12, which causes the people to seek after the Lord. See, this amazing, miraculous sign of healing this blind man then leads to people around him asking questions. Let's look at it in verses 8 and twelve, eight through 12. It begins by, it says, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, he is like him. So this is two things going on here. There's some that, that saw that this man, yes, he was that same man that used to sit outside and beg for our money, beg for our, our providence because he was unable to do anything for himself. They saw that this was the blind man that had lived and lived in this area for years and years. Others, so hardened, said, no, this is not him, but he looks just like him. This, what's so crazy about this is that in 13 all the way to 41 is this conversation between Jesus, this man, his parents, and these Jewish individuals that were around the area of this, this lack of belief that this was the same man. And if it was the same man, he clearly had to have been faking for all of those years. See, two things are going on here. There's people that see this miraculous sign and they say, that's that same man, isn't it? The others that say, no, can't be. There's no way he is able to see now that is not the same man. He just looks just like him. He has a twin that we knew nothing about. But the man in the background at the end of verse 9 says, he kept saying, I am the man. I am the man. I am the man. 
He's saying, yes, that was me. And so they ask him the question then is, how were your eyes opened? Listen, it didn't take a blind man long to proclaim the one that took his blindness away and gave him sight. Rightly so, believers, it should not take us long from being redeemed and saved from spiritual blindness to be people that proclaim the one that took it away and gave us new life. He says, the man called Jesus. He's the one that did this. He spat on the ground. He put the mud on my face. He told me to go. I trusted in him. I went. And he healed me. Isn't that the same thing we ought to proclaim to those around us? I was blind. There was a man named Jesus that, that went to the cross that died for my sin because he has a, a perfect father just as we do, a creator of all that we have all sinned against, we have turned against, we have rebelled against, and he has offered me salvation through that work of this man named Jesus. And you should believe in him too. You should go and you should find him. That's what we're called to do too. So they ask this question, where is he? He responds, I don't know. He doesn't know. He's not lying. He's not trying to protect Jesus in some odd way. He really genuinely does not know where Jesus went. But we're going to see a moment. Um, I'm not going into it, but you would actually see in just a little bit that Jesus finds him. He finds the Pharisees and he makes his sign even more aware to the people around. Why? So that the glory of God would be made known. See, this individual that had seen this man his entire life begging did not at first believe that he had been healed. They did desire to meet the man, though. Thus, they asked the healed man where this Jesus went to. See, the reality is God makes good and bad. He does so so that the works of God may be displayed one of those works that he is displaying is causing blind people to see, specifically here physically, but also for us spiritually. Why? So that other people would then seek after the one that heals blindness. So this really should provide for us some really implications and applications. And what I mean by that is when we look at implications, is what should I understand in this scripture? Applications is then how do I go and live this out? First and foremost, just as this blind man was born blind, all humanity is born spiritually blind from death. They are unable to save themselves and redeem themselves. And just as this blind man's sickness had a purpose, our sickness, our pain, our sorrow, our difficulties, our failures, coronavirus, quarantine, hospitalizations of loved ones and ourselves, though we don't understand them, though it's easy to stand in front of you at a pulpit and give you some knowledge here, God has a reason for those things. And every one of them, though different and though harder or easier in certain ways, has the same purpose and so that God would be glorified in them. And just as Jesus healed this man's blindness, Jesus opened the eyes of the spiritually blind. That's what we should understand. 
we have a Savior that desires to cause you to see when you were once blind. And what should you do with this, though? Because we're all spiritually blind when we're born due to our sinfulness and our depravity. First thing we should do is repent and turn to Jesus and trust in Him to redeem and save our souls. Secondly, is let's be sympathetic to those that are living around us in sin. Meaning believers that are dealing with sin in their lives. Let's be sympathetic. Let's call them to something greater. Let's call them to something higher. Let's be brothers and sisters in Christ that keep them accountable. But let us rightly understand that we are all sinful, continuing to fall into our sin. So let's be sympathetic. Let's be loving. Let's help them in those moments. The second, though, when it comes to the sinfulness of unbelievers in the world around us, the culture around us, let us not be shocked that we see things on television or we hear things on the news that is just contrary to the way that we were raised. We live in a society, though in control ultimately by God, has given ability to twist and to mold by Satan. So we're going to see LGBT things on Nickelodeon and Disney. We're going to see abortion happening right next to us. And thank God we have a church that provides for those things. Parents, teach your kids against those other things. Don't be surprised when sinful people do sinful things. But it should also cause some urgency in our lives to be people that stand up for the truths of the gospel in love and charity and be proclaimers of what Christ has done. The last thing, and I started with this, when it comes to theology and understanding God and even understanding or hearing the words that we go through bad things so that God would be glorified, we can hear it all day here. But it's something that has to happen here. In the darkest moments, that is not the most reaffirming and securing thing for somebody in hard times. But it's something that as you're not in those moments, my prayer is that you would be reminding yourself daily that we have a good and gracious God that does not promise peachy and happy-go-lucky lives with no problems or errors or difficulties, but we have a God that is in control of even our darkest moments. Why? For His glory, and as the promise of Scripture tells us, for our good. Why is it our good? Because it's for His glory and for His will to be unfolded in our lives. So this morning, you may hear the words, God causes all things good to happen in bad moments. You may hear the phrase that bad things made good, and you may not agree with me, and that is perfectly fine. If you're in the midst of a hard time, it is something that is hard to have right here. But my prayer is that God would make that relevant and true to your life today, and you would hold on to what you know here when it's hard to hold on to, when everything is falling apart around you. We have a good and gracious and loving God that has redeemed us from our sins. And guess what? That is enough. Because He didn't even have to do that. So let's trust. Let's rest in Him in our salvation. But also let's rest and trust in Him in the circumstances of life that are just simply out of our control. 
Hit him.